This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing people, Tia Vasiliu. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. Super happy that you're both here, ready to talk about comic books with you. So let me ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been, and how have comic books been, Tia? Help me, I'm sick. <laughs> okay. Can't spend that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sick of reading too many great comics. Tia's fine. Yeah, so it's really annoying because I somehow managed to never get con cred, probably because I wash my hands until the skin falls off. That's that's but, a I, that's how I do it. That's how yeah. I roll. Yeah. Um, but then I tend to get sick on airplanes because they're gross. Yeah, and, I'm the same way. And so that's what happened on my way back from Seattle. Oh man. Yep. This Super- is for E C C C. I don't know how many C's. Yeah, many C's. So many C's. Is Tia trying to say something about the city of Seattle and its? Yes, um, we, sh- like, we should all just live there and never get on yeah. an airplane ever again. Oh, I thought you were <laughs> suggesting that everyone needs to pass out Purell to those hippies. No, I'm just no. Dating Seattle, you're fine. I mean, I think Seattle's a great city. It's the airplane part that's gross. Right. Sure, sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. But I brought back a pretty great comics haul from mm-hmm. ECCCCC. <laughs> <laughs> They set themselves up for that. I mean, honestly. Yeah, they really do. But Natasha Alterisi was there, so I picked up Heathen from her. That's a book I'll read and reread forever. So jealous. Yeah, I also got her Dinosaur Project and um, like this neat sketchbook of skulls. She's pretty cool. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Anyway, I got, um, this isn't necessarily new, but new to me, I picked up Multiple Warheads from Brandon Graham, which is, um, it's like a neat sci-fi story about this couple, and she, like, is a, she transplants, uh, black market organs. I don't know, it it has a really cool kind of, like, manga-esque style, uh, but it's uh, it's pretty hard sci-fi and um, with like a dash of Ghibli. I don't know. I, I really dug it. Um, also, I got the trade paperback Heartthrob, which is um, Christopher Sabela and Robert Wilson IV. And it's about, speaking of organ transplants, a woman who gets a heart transplant. And then the guy who she got, the like the donor guy is like a, a bank robber and he teaches her how to be a criminal and they have a love affair and like it's kind of like that what's that movie redefining listen evil heart Na- it's kind of like natural born killers but oh, like okay. with 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 a ghost i don't it's it's really neat and it's set in like i think it's like it's got like a late 70s aesthetic it's really cool and i also got a special for charity variant numbered copy of four kids walk into a bank number four. Ooh, I know. I don't, I don't know when this is actually coming out. My, my like Google foo previews while under the influence of cold medicine is failing me. 
So, Nick, I don't know. Maybe we can get you on that. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, I want to see, like, Tia's, like, search attempt under the influence of cold, cold medicine. <laughs> Four kids bank. When? Help me. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Google. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... I just bought tickets to Austin. How did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> the story is um, starting to focus more and more on Paige and uh, her dad. She's such a badass. I love Paige. It's a great book. Uh, the one I, the main one that I read was The Wicked and the Divine, number 27. Mm-hmm. So this one is uh, very dense. A lot happens. We've got a lot of things that have been kind of up in the air. And so a lot of questions are starting to get answered finally, which is nice. And the whole middle section is this really cool format where like multiple things are kind of happening and the panel order doesn't necessarily read right to left and top to bottom so you have to sort of uh, like figure out what goes where by following the colors and it's sort of kind of a throwback to the the rave issue from i think issue eight you know like where it has the like glowing halos it was really oh, yeah. good. It was really clever, oh, yeah. um, like in in terms of just playing with how to uh, present time and space, and not everything that's happening is real. Oh yeah, that that ugh, this so that that this specific issue reminded me of like pieces of Transformers versus GI Joe, in that oh god, Gillen and McKelvey just were like, here's everything that's happening in this room at the same time, maybe. Read it as you will, <laughs> and you. And you know, the only thing you can do to advance the story is to turn the page because they don't really give you like a serious direction. I I thought that was really cool. Very. The the guided view for yeah. that was was crazy. Was it crazy? <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. I, <laughs> now you make me. Now I want to see the guided view for GI Joe versus Transformer because I can't even oh. imagine what someone must have tried to do with that. Now Whoever, I need to know. <laughs> Honestly, I read that all in digital via guided view, and whoever did that for for Transformer versus GI Joe, I would like to have a long conversation with them yeah. about how they picked the way that they did it. Because not to say it was bad, it was just I'm very curious because yeah. they could you could have approached could those pages even, multiple ways. That is like drawing the shortest of straws to to get that <laughs> yeah. book. Well, I and, don't. Yeah. I don't know, but I think you should take the person who did the guided view for Wikdiv out for some coffee or something absolutely i think that's something i will try to figure out i'll send an email tonight to get that think, all squared away i think Tia's getting out something like, <laughs> nick nick how have you been how have comic books been what have you been reading uh things have been good it was one of those weeks where like you get to wednesday or thursday and you're like what have i read this week and am i on the podcast and the answer is you've read nothing and yes you're on the podcast oh i do this um, every week and then it's like take it to the limit and it turns into a montage of me reading way more than i need to read and then i'm like guys i'm ready and i read a thousand pages and it's like that's not necessary um what did i read though uh great question because you did ask that at one point probably several (laughs) minutes ago let me get around to that now um i read house of penance finally this is that dark horse I, I guess technically it's a mini series. I thought it was an ongoing, but we hit issue six and we never got any more. So, um, by Peter Tomasi and drawn by Ian Bertram, or as I um, 
uh, more fam- uh, know him on a much more familiar basis. Uh, the guy who drew the one issue of Batman Eternal that everyone flipped out over because it looked really weird and all of the um, usual Bat uh, fans were losing it. Anyway, um, this book was great. I didn't really think it was going to be what it turned out to be, but it's based on this whole framework of you have this widow who's lost her husband and lost her child. And this is about 1910 or so, and she lives in Arizona. And you find out that her husband was the president of Remington, and that um, perhaps in some weird sort of karmic moment, um, her husband and her daughter were taken away from her due to, you know, um, g- you know, gunfire, not aimed at them, but, you know, it went through a building or whatever and, and killed them. It wasn't, you know, oh, they weren't being aimed for. And... She begins to build this house as sort of a um, sort of a home for the ghosts of all of the people who have been, you know, killed by her husband's weapons as sort of a, an act of atonement. And and also, um, so the house is sort of populated by ghosts as well as the sort of thugs and criminals and people who are told that they can, like, work at this house as long as they surrender and forfeit all of their weapons. So these are all these different people that have committed different crimes with you know, Remington weapons, presumably. And uh, she's trying to keep this, like, evil force at bay that if she doesn't continue work on the house, like, it'll consume her and kill her. So she's got, like, builders building staircases to nowhere and doors that don't open and, you know, a roof on top of the roof and all these other bizarre things. Like, it's just 24-7 around-the-clock building. Because if she stops building, then, like, you know, whatever it is will presumably kill her. So it's really weird and creepy, and it has a very uh, Poe Fall of the House of Usher feel to it, which is a plus. Um, Isn't this based on the the Winchester Mansion? Yes, it is. I think it's in California, right? That really yeah. weird house where yeah. it is. It also is like staircases that go to nowhere and, and doors that like you open, and it's a brick wall and things like that. Um, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like she was supposedly... Like, she believed that she could... Like, she was really into the spiritualist movement and stuff like that. And um, she was told that she would be, like, haunted by the victims of Winchester rifles unless she was constantly building the house or something. Yeah. Yeah. This is creepy stuff I do not need to know exists. Yeah, yeah, why man. are you? They did an X Files episode on it too, I think. <laughs> um, although, and I think I'm right. You might, maybe you're right, Tia, but I think they changed the name to Remington for this, which I'm curious why now. That's interesting. Maybe they were trying to distance it at least some degree from from the realistic element, especially because it was in, I think, Arizona and not Cali. So, uh, anyway, it's really good. It's all available at this point. Um, Really interesting and great to see Peter Tomasi doing something not um, DC-oriented, because uh, I think he's one of those guys who's very prolific for DC, but we don't really see him moving outside of DC that frequently. So um, definitely would, would recommend that if you are into kind of gothic, Edward Gorey-esque kind of uh, horror uh, visuals. So if you don't know who Edward Gorey is, go YouTube the... 
Um, intro to Masterpiece Mystery, I believe. Uh, he did the animation for that. It's astounding. Or at least he did the sketches. Anyway, um, I also read Wildstorm number one. Uh, this I was picked up on a whim, uh, not once but twice, because I saw the Tula Lote cover, and then I decided I liked the John Davis Hunt cover, and then I said, what's money? Again, and cried. <laughs> uh, you know what? Mike's not going to like what I'm about to say about this book. Um, and it's oh, not no. that it's this discernibly uh, a negative comment, but I think... This book is proof that Warren Ellis is going to go on my list of writers that, hey, um, an editor is a good thing to have. And sometimes when you actually agree to have one, uh, I like your work a lot more. Uh, And this book is proof. Um, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I really liked the sort of revamping of some of these characters. I thought John Davis Hunt's art was super clean and neat. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoyed that a lot, and and the colors really pop in this book. So, uh, I read Cave Carson one and two. Uh, Paul was pushing real hard for this book for a real long time. Uh, oh yeah, I can, I can understand why. Uh, I the art is fantastic. I like that it's a lot of D list DC stuff going on, um, and also just the fact that like the main issues the protagonist is dealing with largely um, is just the fact that he's now a widow um, and he's trying to raise his daughter, even though she's kind of grown up. So it's more the struggle of attempting to like keep tabs on her and actually <laughs> have an open line of communication with her. Um, and then, of course, you know, killing mutated monsters with a with a drill. Um, but that's usually the list of priorities for most dads. So, Whoa. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, beyond that, Wild Dog uh, climbs up on top of a car in issue two, shouts, "What up? What's up, shitheads?" It's a rhetorical question. He, does, he doesn't really care how they're doing, and then plugs a bunch of gangsters full of holes uh, via assault <laughs> rifle um, fire. Uh, and at that moment, I was like, "Yep." this book like you have a free pass through issue five at this point like guaranteed nick white guaranteed you have a you know pass go collect two hundred dollars we'll talk again at the end of the first arc sort of guarantee so um see this is just one more reason why i think i gotta try this book even though even michael even is kind of like uh, iffy in my book but i will try it i uh, you like all red right because i see some similarities with all red here and there with with oming Okay, I mean, I'm not. I I will I will let the art pass. It's not that I dislike his art. I just I read a couple books with his art in it, uh, specifically his series God Complex, which I keep. oh when he's the one writing it, I don't. I'm not crazy either. I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that book, kind of like threw me. His art's not bad. It's just it's very simple and it can irk me a little bit. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I should try something else. I, th- I don't think I read a book I think with it's his stylized, art in a few years. Michael, it's stylized. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's not simple. Sure. It's stylized. Sure. Sure, sure. Bobby Nick you, coming you, out here. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of good artwork, unless Mike Rappin wants to tell me he hates these two people too. Yes. How many times did Scott Snyder have to like smack himself in the head um, to be like, oh my goodness, I have Tula Lote and Francavia on the same damn issue? That's crazy. That's enough for me to buy one, that issue. Like, I, yeah. I haven't caught up with All-Star Batman, but I could just buy number seven just for those two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All-Star Batman number seven. Um, interesting book, especially because I thought these little uh, villain uh, issues, the Mr. Freeze one for six, the um, you know the Poison Ivy one for seven, I thought they were going to be very one-shotty, and yet he's looping them together as sort of this globe-trotting adventure arc of sorts. Um, with this overarching plot regarding a contagion. 
um, that freeze sort of kicks off, and then he goes to Poison Ivy to attempt to fix. Um, it was an, it was an interesting book, and it also sort of weaved into Snyder's idea that like why can't we talk about social issues too? Um, and I think he does it subtly enough that it's not really you know smack right on the head or right on the nose. I guess I guess I should say they're both on the face. That's close enough. Um, <laughs> and uh, it kind of turns into a discussion about. Um, you know, women getting into science and technology and sort of that real recent push that we've been seeing across popular culture and and the news and whatnot. So that was that was kind of fun. Uh, finally, I will quickly say, uh, I did not think this was going to be true, but Paul was completely right about Commodity Challenge. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I've already potentially got Mike mad, so let's let's get Paul mad too. Paul, I think that I like this better than the actual original source material. <gasps> Uh-oh. <sighs> oh no yep 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 i do i do um you know paul's even admitted it this is probably one of those works of kirby's that needed an editor because he really goes insane um but this book is fantastic dan didio actually tells a really good prologue story at the beginning did not expect that keith giffen does his stylized take on on kirby which i can never get enough of he did that for omac um, and then the second half, which was the meat and potatoes of issue one, um, really made me realize that Dale Eaglesham, or however you say that, is honestly one of the most underrated pencilers out there right now. Uh, he just recently did, I think, the full arc of Secret Six with Gail Simone in 14 or 13, whatever that was. Really, really great art. Really enjoyed it. Um, what about you, Mike? What did you read? Uh, I didn't I didn't read as much as I thought I did in a weird way I I did realize that I have a stack of floppy books that I just have been ignoring for way too long some upwards of four months so I, I started, say you sent me some of that list yeah I I didn't get through all of them but I did get through a few and I read some digitals as well so I I picked through the three covers of sex criminals number 16 that I purchased uh, and read How many the of those origi- were the super not safe for work ones so sex criminals number 16 like the last i think six or so issues has had a triple x variant this one Mm -hmm. in this case was done by fiona staples which is very sexy and people were naked having sex on the cover who'd have thought um so i I didn't read that one i did read the original cover but the third cover that i bought was the image 25th anniversary cover which is the my favorite cover of all of them as homages to these big number ones and it's uh (laughs) It's the sexual and the criminal cover, which is like the mock of the Wiccan and Divine covers. And oh, it is, yes. It's my favorite cover ever. I think I talked about it on the show for a quick moment, but it is it's my favorite. I love it so much. I think I'm, if I can get it signed by Jamie McKelvey um, and uh, Kieran Gillen and Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky, it's going to go on a wall somewhere. If that anything, would it will get. That would be yeah, a major get. Definitely. So fingers crossed that one day I will be be able to meet those four amazing humans. Is this Uh, the the Brintception one or the um, headshot one? This is the headshot one. Oh, okay. I love it's. It's so funny. It's. I don't know why the sexual and the criminal is just the (laughs) the funniest thing in my head. Um, But this issue was pretty good. I didn't realize how long it had been since the last Sex Criminals came out, which is almost a year. Issue Welcome number 15 came out 
April 2016, and I just got 16. Or yeah, I just got issue number 16. So 15 came out last year. 16 came out a couple weeks ago. I finally read it. It was very, very long, very, very word heavy. Not in a bad way. It's just it was a very big issue, and with an announcement saying, "Hey, we're actually going to get back on track. We've actually got a padded number of issues so that this doesn't happen again, mm. at least for the short foreseeable future," which is nice. Uh, this st- I had to reread 15 to get myself caught up because, you know, when a year passes, it's kind of hard to be caught up on a comic. But somehow, with that amount of time between issues, the beats of the story don't change, the tone doesn't change, everything feels the same as, as issue one, in my opinion. It feels like the same story, and that's that's commendable, in my opinion. I think that some books will take a long gap of time between issues, and then you come back, and the next issue kind of feels weird. This one definitely doesn't. So I, I was very happy about that. Um, you know, if you're not reading Sex Criminals, you really should. It's a, it's a fantastic story. There ought to be an option with, like, image solicits where if your image book goes on break for, like, more than a year, like, when the next issue comes out, they just, with a big industrial size, like, staple gun, just, like, staple the last trade volume onto the back of your issue. <laughs> yeah. So just you're like, you oh, forgot. thank God. Yeah. Please ruin my comic book with a whole please, trade paperback. Please do. Yeah. Um, so just kidding, don't do that ever. I'll kill yeah, you. I also read X-Men Legacy Volume 2. Uh, in my watching the Le- the Legion TV series, I am also reading the fantastic, absolutely 100% perfect run written by Simon Spurrier with art by Tang and Huat and in this volume, Paul Davidson as well. Following David Holler, a.k.a. Legion, as he tries to save the world because he thinks the X-Men are a bunch of idiots. This book is perfect. It's 100% perfect. I love this volume. I can't say any more about it other than you should be reading this. It's a contained four-volume series. It gets you from beginning to end. The ending is one of the most perfect things ever in comic books as far as I'm concerned. And I realize that's coming from a very biased standpoint as an X-Men fan. But I think that if you jumped into this book with the bits of context that you maybe need about where the X-Men were in the universe, everything else is fine. It's 100% otherwise it's original. And, oh man, Simon Spurrier's voice in this book, every single character has such a distinctive, solid voice. I don't know. I love this comic book. It's perfect. Uh, I I don't want to say any more than that, I guess. The other thing I read was Saga Saga issues 41 and 42, and 42 broke my heart. They did a thing that Brian K. Vaughn hasn't done in a comic book in a long time, in in that there was no end-of-issue letters, there was no... Here's what's coming up next. Here's next in the story. The end of 42 cuts to black, and then the last four pages are all black. And I don't, I don't want to spoil what actually happens in the book, but man, it was super powerful. To, to just print an extra four pages of black to like really nail the point home was super impressive. 42 is amazing. I, I love this comic book. I, I forget that when I don't read Saga for a long time, like how good it is so when i come back and read a few issues it's like it blows my mind to think that they've been doing this book for 42 issues and it has been damn near perfect as far as i'm concerned yeah that's that's always impressive so i read some really good image books this month is what i'm getting at or this week i should say I, are you guys keeping up with saga at all apparently nick's got beef with image yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, just only when when my book disappears for like a year and a half and I think it's dead and then it like emerges from the Sarlacc pit and it's like, I'm still alive. 
Yeah, but yeah. but that's so exciting. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, oh, I have to remember where this book was. In some books, that's easy. In other books, it's like, hi, this is a uh, um, nowhere men, or um, they're not, uh, they're not, they're like not us. like and us. It's like, oh my god, I cannot remember it all well, what was going on in this book it's not like they've disappeared you can go back and look this oh, is true i have to find all my singles oh <laughs> goodness i mean in their in, in their order in order of filing they're not in order of book because i'm disorganized so <laughs> <laughs> how is that image's problem nick yeah. image come over rearrange my books <laughs> and i'll leave you alone <laughs> <laughs> also eric stevenson sorry i singled out both of your books i realize you're in charge of image please don't cancel descender yes. <laughs> yeah he's very busy okay he's doing his best yeah i agree uh finally i did so as part of the big marvel buy one get one free sale that's happening this weekend oh God, uh, I, I bought a bunch of comic <laughs> books you guys it's uh, probably gonna happen I did buy the Rick Remender run of Uncanny X-Force because I love that book. It's it's amazing. But since it's a seven-volume series, I needed to find another book to get the you know maximum discount um, to get another book for free, essentially. So I bought Darth Maul number one, which is a single issue that cost as much as an entire collected edition of, that's of Uncanny X-Force. So whatever... I did read Darth Maul number one. The art was beautiful by Luke Ross. Cullen Bunn was on writing. I have a lot of qualms and issues with this book that I didn't realize I had in my heart when it comes to Darth Maul. Because throughout the whole series, or this whole book, Darth Maul is talking and he like he's narrating and he's doing things that they do in a lot of the other books at Marvel where it's a solo character so they have to narrate everything and you're trying to get like this introspective but in my head that's not Darth Maul as a character and so I was really bummed when he was when the the whole book he's just complaining I'm so much more powerful I just want to fight some Jedi but my boss dad won't (laughs) let me fight Jedi come on boss dad what do you why won't why can I fight these people I'm just gonna kill everyone yeah you're gonna send me on a mission I'm gonna kill everyone he's really angsty (laughs) and that's not Darth Maul no it's great I love it because like we already got like hard ass Darth Maul but I want to I want something new brought to the table sure and you know Darth Maul that's fine and if if it's if you want new that's like I think that this book should definitely deliver that but I don't think that it should be him complaining and whining the entire time this isn't Anakin Skywalker this is Darth Maul he's an instrument of the Sith of the dark side of the force he's he's this like terrifying assassin that works for Palpatine except really except let's take inventory of all of the um you know dark Sith type people we know intimately in the Star Wars universe. We have, you know, hot topic manager Anakin Skywalker, <laughs> right? Yes. We, like we have Edgelord Ben Kenobi or Ben Kenobi, <laughs> sorry, uh Ben uh Solo. Uh Okay, sure. Cold cold medicine. Chalk it up to the cold medicine. It makes sense in my head, people. You know, we have, you know, my dad won't let me borrow the minivan Darth Maul, like <laughs> that. The, the defining characteristic of these people is their petulant emotion. Sure, which I think that, is sort of on the required CV for joining the the dark side, anyway. So I mean, shared characteristics maybe should make sense to some degree. Yeah, I just I think that what Bun could have done as part of this story was instead of literally just writing the angst 
you can just show it. Like you can you can do that thing that comics is really great at, which is show rather than tell. And I think that you could have done a lot of they could have done a lot with that work. Like the artist, like Luke Ross on this book was doing an he did an amazing job portraying faces and giving like giving subtle emotion that also happened to be paired with this like weird over like I don't know I think that the uh, this is something I was saying to Nick as I was reading I felt like the mouthpiece for Darth Maul should have just been Palpatine narrating over everything about what he was supposed to do and getting Darth Maul to like do the opposite or react and be angry about it could have easily just been done with the art he didn't have to say well I'm not gonna do what he told me you know like it's unnecessary but so that's that's my only call. I'm gonna read issue two. I got sucked in. There was this whole thing <laughs> about slaves and Darth Maul's like, "Well, I'm gonna go kill a Jedi," and he's really hell bent on killing Jedi. And uh, everyone likes a bad guy sometimes, so I'm totally up for reading this book all the time. Yeah, that I just ugh, I, I didn't realize how connected I was to this character yeah, until I read clearly. this stupid comic. Stupid prequels got me all flustered and stuff, and they aren't even that good. <laughs> I'm just hoping like the last panel is like him like pulling out this well-worn photograph out of his pocket and he's like I'm doing it for my kids and it's just like you know his son and his daughter and they both have the same like face paint and everything you know and it's like I love you guys so much it's not face paint that's like that's just, just their that's skin just man his face yeah, uh, I thought I thought that was tattooed on top of. I thought they said that that was maybe I'd have to. Oh, look that maybe up again. no, no, you might be right. I think he, he the t- horns are not like they're not fake. The horns, yeah, there's something yeah. about it. Either way, this book takes place before the prequels, so it's it's Darth Darth Maul in the acts he 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 like takes care of for Palpatine before the actions and things that happen in Episode One. So who knows where this will go? We'll see. I I just have thoughts about it and i will continue <laughs> to read this book and whine on this podcast about it so get 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 uh excited people anyways comic books come out this week on wednesday march 15th 2017 so what are you two reading i'll i'll start with you tia start with nick because i thought that wednesday was the 22nd so i have to pick a different one okay nick what are okay. you reading this week? <laughs> yeah, uh, my my pick for this week, uh, which is March fifteenth, two thousand seventeen. I hope now I'm beginning to get nervous myself. Uh, is All Star Batman number eight? Um, this book is uh, uh, obviously the next entry in this sort of globe trotting adventure for um, Batman, and it features Mad Hatter, which we really haven't seen in in a while honestly i i don't really remember the last time anyone did much with him uh maybe like he showed like up Batman: as... the dark knight volume three uh i don't know w- w- were you thinking it was newer than th- more recent than that yeah uh, i thought that he showed up as part of something in the new 52 but i may be wrong oh that's what i'm saying yeah yeah it was this was like batman the dark knight is what i'm oh thinking okay of. okay um but uh yeah a lot of people don't like to touch the character just because there are too many comparable um analogs to him in either scarecrow or in some cases little aspects of the riddler are are similar and so people just stay away from mad hatter because uh in some people just view him as a knockoff but uh this issue sounds really promising uh once again we do have another guest artist uh this time it's uh Giuseppe Kamunkuli, uh, he did the pencils for Batman Europa, uh, which some might remember from a year or two ago. That was um, 
Brian Azzarello and and I think Jim Lee did some of it, uh, and and Kamunkali as well. And uh, it, he's it sounds... also the he's also the penciler on Green Valley with Max Landis. Oh, oh, well, okay, yeah. There's there's that too. Um, I know you. I know some of you guys read that. I'll I'll have to pick that up at some point. Uh, and yeah, it's Batman going into the American South, and apparently he's going to fight the Bat Family again. I guess because there are trust issues again. I'm not really certain why. Uh, and if if there aren't if there weren't trust issues before, there are definitely going to be trust issues after. And then everyone will be like, "Can we ever forgive him?" And then Jason Todd will be like, "Yeah, right, no way." But uh, it'll it'll get sorted. Trust me. Um, and at some point, he's going to fight someone with a robot flamingo. I read the preview pages. I'm not really certain what the context is, but it's going to happen. Um, sure. So yeah. Batman, Deep South, <laughs> fights the Bat Family, probably fights Mad Hatter at some point. Uh, rednecks and robot flamingos are, are, are also going to be found. So I am very um, confused and excited. Um, mostly confused. So, uh, <laughs> What well, about you, Tia? Do you have a pick by this point? I'm talking slowly to hope I that do, you... Okay, good. I ac- no, right. I actually did have one, but I just wanted to triple check and make sure that... Well, I had two, and then it turns out that one was for the 22nd and one was for the 15th, so I only halfway uh, messed up. Okay. okay. That's fair. Yeah. I am really excited about Mirror number six, talking of image series that have been long dormant. Mm-hmm. And so the whole, this is by um, Emma Rios and Hui Lim. The artwork is just so gorgeous. Like you could literally frame every single page and hang it on the wall and um, just stare at it for hours. And it's beautiful. Basically, the whole first arc takes place on this like colonized asteroid where these like mage people are doing these experiments on these hybrid animal like sentient creatures who um, have you know this like spiritual connection to the asteroid. They're like these guardian deities, and um, so things happen. There's five issues in the, that first arc. And so number six actually is going to jump back in time and it's going to look at the uh, the place that these colonists came from and um, kind of, again, dealing with themes of like the, the essence of being and identity and stuff like that, but uh, with a different cast of characters. So... Yeah, I'm excited because I think that these creators are really good at uh, everything from the dialogue to the art to the characters and the story like plot points. They're all tied together so intricately. They're so good at weaving these threads together to make everything kind of support the same thesis. And uh, they're just they're just such great artists so read mirror you got it i I think i've seen a couple a couple issues of this book and it is it is very beautiful it's a very beautiful comic but for me this week i am excited for batwoman number one it was originally going to be injection number 11 but i realized that batwoman's coming out this week and that is very exciting this is marguerite bennett and steve epting telling the story of the greatest batwoman ever kate kane and 
I don't really know what this book's about. I haven't read the Rebirth issue yet, so I don't really know what's even going on. All I know is that this is a Batwoman book, and I'm excited to read it. Like, that's all I can really say about it, because Batwoman needs her own book. It's so... She's such a fantastic character. Like, she, she's a different kind of Bat character. She She doesn't have this weird flashback every other issue about her parents dying with pearls and a gunshot all this stuff she's uh she just wants justice for the people of gotham and she will go to great lengths to get that it's it's batman but a little bit less whiny in my opinion so i'm really excited to see what marguerite bennett does with this and steve epting on art is unstoppable you may know him from his fantastic work at image with ed brubaker on velvet or you may also know him from his amazing work with Ed Brubaker at Marvel on Captain America. So, if you like either of those things, this is the book for you. And it's it's going to be the book for me. That's all I can say about it. I don't know if either of you care, but that's what I'm excited for. Lydia's very interested. Oh, that's good. Well, I will have a conversation it, with her. Is it the book for kitty cats? I think so. I mean, how does she do with bats? Well, I think that she really wants to play with bats. Okay. So, um, I'm really looking forward to that crossover. You know what? Actually, she has a bat Halloween costume. That is amazing. Is there a picture of that somewhere? There is. I will send it for the show notes. That, that will be in the show notes this week. I hope you are all excited about that. <laughs> she, she has won many pet Halloween costume contests with her bat costume. Oh, my God. I forget. I always forget that your cat is a pageant cat. That is so cool. <laughs> anyway, comics. For our show this week, we've got a very big topic. Big in the sense that there's a lot to unpack. But the topic itself is... I'll just read it directly from what we wrote down in our show notes. Are terms like graphic novel useful anymore? And what sort of terminology would you like to see in comics? Just kind of a, it's, it's a very broad, open question. But I think the direction we wanted to take this today is talking about words like graphic novel or trade paperback or OGN or original graphic novel is what that means. And anthology, talking about comics and sequential art. What are all these terms what do they mean when it comes to comic books and how, how are they used in the community and what types of types of words should we be using? Is trade paperback the best way to describe something? What does that even really mean? What is a trade paperback? What is a graphic novel? What are the differences in these distinctions that already exist? And where do we go from here? Are things changing? Should we be using a collective word? All this type of stuff. What what are we doing to, I guess, make comics more accessible by for, to people by not using weird terminology? So, I have a lot of thoughts, I think specifically around the graphic novel trade paperback collection, but if either Tia or Nick, if either of you want to start the discussion about something different, let's let's hear it. Well, I mean, I actually, I think I suggested this topic because um, a few months ago, there was some discussion of it on Twitter, and people were kind of talking about it, and, um, you know, on one hand, it's like, we want more people to read comics and there's some barriers for people. And one of those barriers might be that they have a misconception about comics being kind of throwaway pop culture for kids. Right. And they only want to read very sophisticated literary things. <laughs> sure. So <laughs> by calling something a graphic novel instead of a comic book, it lets people get over that, 
um, misconception and so it becomes like a marketing tool. But ultimately, I think um, in the short term, a useful one because people can be like, oh, this is a thing that I'm allowed to read because I can read a graphic novel. I'm a grown up and that sounds very sophisticated. On the other hand, I think in the long term, it really does more harm than good because it's almost like preemptively apologizing for comics and it kind of feeds into the misconception itself, right? Like that you can't use the term comic book or even that like someone can't read a comic like Jonesy because it's not serious and literary and, you know, fancy. But, you know, I would recommend Jonesy to a lot of people. It, it's a great book. It's not a kid's book necessarily, you know. And so, you know, when you are describing a comic or a graphic novel or a trade paperback or whatever, um, at what point does the kind of manipulative marketing slant become a problem and at what or at what point is it sort of a um kind of understandable little white lie yeah i think from the outside i think if you're not reading comic books or not you know not steeped in it as deep as probably the three of us are the word graphic novel definitely sounds like like more adults or like more mature in some way but to me I, I when i hear graphic novel i think something completely different so the the fact that people use the i think there's like a, a misconception as to what's what these words should be or what they could be is is the beginning of the problem right and it, it starts with the the stigma that we have in the united states around what comic books are and how they are geared towards a younger audience but i think that it's becoming maybe a little bit more clear and that's probably in part thankfully to the to the movies that have been coming out specifically like our my new favorite comic book movie Logan that there can be more serious things happening in these types of stories even if they are based on comic books and I say like that like I say even if they're based like that that right there is playing into that idea of um, you never would have thought that but I to me when I'm trying to talk to people about comic books, I, I try not to be apologetic. I, I At least I, I think so. And so using a phrase like graphic novel to make something seem more legitimate, like just doesn't work in my head because in, in the you know world of comics, a graphic novel is a completely different thing than like a trade paperback or a collected edition because they collect different types of stories. Like they are bound in different ways. So using, you know, the phrase graphic novel to me means, you know, like a, single standalone story that has no continuation it's not serialized it reads like a novel in that it may have chapters but the whole story is contained and it was never once sold as single serialized comic books whereas a trade paperback or collected edition however you want to call that um, is a reprint of you know previously serialized comics to say now here's like a bound version of those comics rather than having to take your comics and get them bound somewhere so I, I don't know I'm I have the the cognitive dissonance because I'm so in it now that I can't really see the out the outside perspective which is maybe a bad thing I realize I just kind of sidestepped your original your point but I'm I, I don't know how to I don't know how to to, to, to push any harder to say that I don't think that comic books are like a kid's thing anymore. And I think we, we say that a lot on this show um, because it's absolutely true. And the, the, I don't, I don't know what the, what the best solution to get people more interested in comic books other than just 
giving them to them and say, look, this is by no means a kid's comic book and you shouldn't think of comic books as that medium anymore. And maybe the the newer generation won't, you know, like people our age or people who are a little bit older than us, you know, they, they have seen comic books kind of had this like renaissance of this resurgence in popularity and the stories that are coming out and that are becoming popular, the things like Saga or The Walking Dead or whatever, they are not even remotely close to what you would think kids comic books were probably 20 years ago where you think that you're looking at like a spider-man story where he's fighting the stilt man and it's oh no he's so tall how do i how do i get him but instead it's the walking dead where you've got like whole families being torn apart by this terrible apocalypse and the emotional fallout because of that i think those are like two different playing fields and they're both still like people are aware of both of those types of comics now in a way i think in in the grand spectrum of you know eternity in terms of literature and media on the whole something like comic books and in the same vein even younger something like video games you still feel like there's this sort of inferiority complex going on the whole we demand to be taken seriously sort of thing and Sometimes, in an effort to demand to be taken seriously, you only <laughs> look even less serious about things. And I don't know. I'm I'm of a mixed mind because I think I think in a lot of ways, people of all walks of life are basically looking for a permission slip of sorts to go read comics. You know, they need an excuse. They need a reason. Uh, and and for me, I feel like. However you arrive at that reasoning, uh, great, whether it's saying, oh, you know, I really liked this TV show, so I'm going to learn more, or, you know, telling people, you know, well, I, I watched a show, but I'm going to get ahead of you by reading the comics, or in, in the case of the whole graphic, knowledge, graphic novel terminology, if, if you're gussing it up with a new term so people take you more seriously, if, if that's what it takes to get you to arrive at comics, I guess that's great. The problem is that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution to attract people to comics, and inevitably, with the whole graphic novel terminology, amongst other terms, um, you know, you have people that are coming into a comic book shop and People are asking them, well, what do you like? And the person's like, well, I like graphic novels. And in their mind, you know, they're thinking, well, I like comic books. And in the person who's helping them's mind, they're thinking, oh, this person wants to read, like, Mouse or Watchmen again. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's kind of muddy. It would be more beneficial for everyone in the long run to call things what they are. Yeah. You know, and, and I... <sighs> I mean, I do get the, I want to read a graphic novel as a way of saying I want to read a story arc or I want to binge read something. I don't don't love reading single issues month to month. I like to read trades, you know, but um, for, because we, in the, in comics because people use trade and graphic novel interchangeably mostly for marketing purposes it muddies the Mm -hmm. waters a lot and then marvel was like we're gonna clean things up with the term original graphic novel Uh, and it's like no okay which to be fair like i think that that's helpful as a delineation between like watchmen which was meant to be read as a whole but it did come out in singles at some point and then you have the delineation of saying this never came out in singles ever Ever, ever, ever. Um, And of course, it's one more turn to learn. And it is sort of a confusing thing. If you try to explain this to anybody, it's like, are you insane? But I mean, I, I, 
yes, I think it's the answer is term. yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But being able to say this never came out in single issues, and and you know everybody does this. I mean, what's even more confusing is that if you look over at DC with those Earth One series, here you have original graphic novels that never came out in singles, but they even have follow-up volumes, even though those are never coming out in singles either. So everything in comics is riddled with exceptions, and so it becomes hard to sort of (laughs) make one-size-fits-all rules for anything, which is so frustrating. But as far as actual terminology goes and what we would want to see in comic books, because I think that there is something to be said about, yes, we've got these terms and they can be kind of limiting. And although we may not mean to, they can be a little gatekeeping. But if we had to say, like, these are the types of terms we like to use, these are the terms we want to say going forward could be helpful to make things a little bit easier for people. What kind of what kind of words are we looking at? Like, I think saying graphic novel and trade paperback work but there i think that there is some distinction to be made for, like for instance i think collected edition is probably a better descriptor than mm-hmm. trade paperback you know yeah definitely <clears throat> like cuz i think like trade paperback if i'm getting this if i remember correctly this is a, a term coined by someone at marvel a long time ago back when they started to actually do reprints of serialized books in a collected edition in a bound volume, taking serialized comics, like I said before, collecting them in, an, in a either hardcover or softcover bound edition and selling them to people in different volumes. Um, and volumes is a whole different thing that we'll get to, I think, in a second. But trade paperback to me does not... <clears throat> does not make sense because I think it's a marketing term or it's, a, it's an insider term that just ended up becoming the regular thing for people to say rather than a collected edition and you see that in the, like the previews catalog you see that on websites that list all of the comics that are coming out you know they'll say you know, x-men volume or x-men volume 6 tpb and i know that, that that means trade paperback it means a collected edition but i think that's an insider term and it it doesn't make sense to non-comic book readers so I don't know. Do you, do you guys think that trade paperback works, or am I? Do you think I'm getting the history wrong, or I don't know? I feel I like think, I'm just going on a little bit of a rant here, but I mean, I think that you're really right. I, I actually think that a lot of insider language is used in the um, consumer side of comics to its own detriment. Yeah, and you and you see that a lot with hardcovers too. You'll see HCTPB or just HC when. You may see, you know, like I was saying, X-Men Volume 7 or something. You'll see a trade paperback, which usually means a soft cover collected edition versus a hard cover. And they may contain the exact same thing. The only difference is the actual binding itself. But they're listed differently and they're different prices. And it, there's no indication until you actually pick up the two books as to whether or not you're getting the same content or if they're even the same book which I think is so collect- so crazy because why don't we have something like hardcover collected edition or softcover collected edition or just, I don't know, something that's even better than either of those. Oh, and then there's Omnibus, which should be the, like, the entire run of something, but then you get multiple uh, yeah. Omnibuses and you're like, what the hell? Yeah, Th- that's the thing that always irked me about the Walking Dead and the Invincible Omnibuses, Omnibus. Bye. I don't know. <laughs> Just I assume that's how that works. Right? So don't Could worry. you imagine though, like a single 
collection of all of them it all would of be invincible like man as tall as a child but why aren't those called like special edition collected or like oversized collected editions or something like that because i think omnibus is definitely a misnomer like it makes sense when you see it at marvel and they do like the omnibus of ecstatics which was a a, you know 50 issue run of an x-men comic book and it's the entire book in one one bound volume they do that mm. with dc does it too with some of their books like there was a grant morrison run of something that has a huge unbelievably thick bound hardcover version and i mean these things cost like upwards of 130 dollars but you're getting the entire run in one book and that makes sense it's an omnibus and that's just, oh just i totally forgot about things. Omnibus. just ban yeah they're no. useless they're not useless. Come on. No one is ever going to bring that on the train with them and like casually read on the way to work. No one wants to pick that up at home and like read even like like if they have an arm brace or like an exoskeleton armor thing on where they can like support it while they read, maybe maybe it has utility at that point, but really those things main function is it looks nice on a bookshelf provided you never ever choose that you actually want to access it for anything nick you're telling me that you don't have a dedicated corner with a spotlight and a podium where you can put your omni by <laughs> yeah on uh, one a at lectern. a time i have a lectern yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah with that little lamp that goes over the top of it yeah i love That's, them for their decorative purposes yeah, I I don't I don't actually I actually disagree with you, Nick. I think people are probably actually yeah, Nick, at you're home. wrong. Um, Just get the I, hardcover I, ones at least. The hardcover is the perfect blend of utility and taste. Okay. <laughs> no, because the omnibus speaks to your seriousness as a collector. Oh my yeah, goodness! It means you're filthy casual <laughs> that joined in real late in the game. You know, oh my god! Oh no. my goodness! <laughs> and I'm joking when I use that term. Everyone, just calm down. Okay. <laughs> And the and you know like especially if they throw in some extra good stuff in the back I mean come on yeah and and a lot of the times these types of books do come with extra content specifically when we're talking about hardcover books or we're talking about multi-volume collected editions and this is where things get even more muddled right yeah when when you're looking at something like like Saga for instance let's take a book that sells pretty well and a lot of people probably know about it. Sure. Saga released itself in single issues, yep. serialized monthly with breaks in between, but for for the most part it was, you know, your standard monthly comic. And at the end of each arc, they would release a volume, a collected edition, aka a volume of that book in a softbound collector collector's edition or softbound, you know, edition that you could buy and read the first 6 issues or something in. And then, after the first two arcs, or the first three arcs, they released what's called Saga Book One, which is a hardcover special edition version that collects three volumes all in within one hardcover book. It's got a special cover, it has some extra content in the back, and these are all solicited in the same kind of way. They're all called trade paperbacks, they're all called something, and it's it gets really confusing because you don't know from just looking at it what you're actually getting, and sure, maybe... I'm maybe getting a little bit too anal about this and saying you should know exactly what you're buying. But it, it can be a little confusing because if you only bought the first two volumes, but you want to get the third or something, you, you end up in a weird situation where you could be buying multiple books multiple times. But at that point, I think the only thing that may be the saving grace is that you realize it's a special edition because it is kind of upsold as a special edition because they didn't release hardcover editions of the single volumes and so on and so forth. But I don't know. That's... Image is one example of that. Like I think Saga Works does this, Chew did this, East of West does this, Wicked Lazarus and Divine does, does this, it. Lazarus, 
And image is getting, I think, more in the direction of here's how we're going to collect things. There's a, there's a standard pattern. So if you move from series to series, you know what to expect. But with Marvel, it's kind of up in the air if there's even going to be a hardcover or a collected edition or whatever. Um, and I think DC's the same way. Some books don't even get collected into a trade paperback or a collected edition. So I don't know. I just uh, so many things, so many ways to buy these comic books. I think that's one of the weird things that must be so odd or frustrating for people coming into comics is, why are there nine different ways to buy this book? And the answer is, well, comic book people are dummies, and they'll gladly buy the same book seven times over, myself included. That is the answer. It's so Um, true. I mean, I don't think that's the intent purpose, but sure. Yeah, I think that's so what ends up happening. It's so weird because, like, once you understand just enough to know you don't understand enough about comics, you like this anxiety sets in over, my gosh, like, am I going to buy like half of the same issues over all over again? Or, or even worse, like, am I missing things that I don't even know about? Right. Yep. Right. Yep. Am I missing things? Or, my goodness, if I'm reading trades and this image series says that I'm missing things, if I don't buy the single issues, then what am I missing? And do I need to pick those up? And, and then, of course, this really boils down to whether or not you are willing or whether or not the terminology out there is, you know, cohesive and coherent enough, you know, for you to pick up on it and say, okay, I am reading the omnibus version and I need the second one and it's going to come out at this point. And I think, long story short, when you hear a lot of this stuff, you think, well, geez, I kind of understand maybe why digital comics are making such headway, because it's like, I am reading this series, click here to auto-subscribe, and every time the digital issue comes out, you won't miss it, and yeah, a a lot of this talk about vocabulary makes a real strong argument for why digital is doing doing so well, honestly, in my mind. Sure, sure, and and I think that there is there's another issue in the, this is like a not even no pun intended there, yeah there's no there's another problem that is inherent <laughs> in comic books you know on top of the numbering systems and num- and like the labeling is this a trade is this a collected edition is this omnibus it, you run into this other problem of like labeling of different series uncanny for especially when it comes to you know ongoing books you've got like un- you've got uncanny x-men which has been running for 60 years and then they start to renumber and then new volumes come out and it's called a volume one but volume one also came out eight years ago and so you don't know if you're buying the correct volume two if you're not really following the issues and things aren't labeled with the proper year I remember dealing with this when I started getting into comic books. I wanted to buy, find a good starting point for X-Men um, based on the current like modern run, but I would get three volume ones of the same book. Like Uncanny X-Men had like three volume ones in like five years because it was like a new creative team and they wanted to start over, but the book itself didn't renumber, but the trade co- or the collected editions did. And it's, it's, it's all over the place. And so say, calling something a volume is can be really confusing if you're not being specific with the exact series which again i think digital can do because you know when you're looking at a book on like comiXology or even if you're looking at like a humble bundle or on or on marvel's website or dc's website they at least put the year next to it Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. say here's when it came out so if you know that you're buying the most recent version you know that it maybe started in 2016 2015 you might be in the right place and of course, but, that gets even more jumbled because if if it's a trade that's being republished, you can't just go off of the copyright year on the inside of the book because, right. like, 
You know, if they're right. publishing All Star All Star Superman in 2015, guess what? That book is a heck of a lot older than that. So, right, you got to open up the cover, kids, and you got to find the point where it says originally published as, and there you go. Yeah, there you so, go. So we we I realize that we keep we're 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 not really talking about the terminology so much as just criticizing it. Um, but I outside of you know OGN graphic novel trade paperback graphic novel are there other terms in comics that maybe need some clarification or things we could focus on um yeah. stop rather using than purchasing book. Book. stop book using book really end. you don't I like need. that see i like <laughs> here's the thing i'm torn Nat- natalie and brulia style um because i like using book as a synonym for series or title but I realize for a lot of other people, book must be a really confusing word to hear. You know, it's like, oh, do you have this book? Or are you going to start this book? Or do you like this book? And obviously book connotes a physical, you know, object for a lot of people. So I think book needs to go. I uh, I like it, but I can see how that must really throw people off. Yeah, I, I think that this goes back to what we're talking about, where um, specificity would be y- y- more useful than euphemistic language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Otherwise, I, like... I am totally guilty of using book. Yeah. Oh yeah, same yeah. here. I think the the problem is that a lot of the time, or the, there's a problem with the word comic, in that it can mean a single issue, or it can mean an entire run, or it can mean a you know a thing like comic we use synonymously with so many different things so if you say hey did you like this comic or are you going to buy this comic like it seems like you're maybe talking about a single issue when you may be talking about a run so i find myself specifically when i'm talking to people online usually saying comic series comic book you know i always preface things with, with comic so as to not get confused because there's one thing when you're having a conversation with someone in person, there's some context probably, but online that context can immediately be lost, even if you are talking about comics sometimes. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, let me see. Uh, collection needs to replace trade, period. Um, I think volume would work as well. Uh, I, I think collection is good because it you know, already connotes within the term that this stuff has already been published at some point. And you know we're now we're just putting it back together again. So I like right. I like collection. I think floppy is fine. I think single is fine. Um, I think both of those work perfectly well. Um, I think issue is a term that people don't get hung up on. I think that works. Um, I don't really know if we need to come up with terms to clearly denote digital versus physical. I don't think that's an issue. Um, again, no pun intended. Um, gosh, what else is there? I'm trying to think of. Yeah, I think. I mean, when it comes to the the what's being published and how things work, I think I don't know if there's anything else in in comics that can be kind of muddled. I know that uh, Avo Nerd, a guy named John, who who's very diligently diligently followed the show, asked a question earlier today to me because I was I tweeted about, hey, we we're going to be talking about this stuff. What do you want us to talk about? And he yeah. mentioned the difference between caption box versus word balloon versus speech bubble versus text box which can all kind of be the same in some cases because you end up in some comics where a person is talking and then as they're still talking, you follow them over into the next page and they're inside of a box, but sometimes that box isn't colored the same as their speech or it should be a different color, but it looks just like the rest of the captions. I know that Jonathan Hickman does this sometimes where his speech bubbles will turn into captions, but oh, it's the really? same exact design as the captions themselves. The only difference is some like they'll have a quote around them. 
I, hmm. I don't know what book it was that I was reading recently. I feel like it was one of his, or maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But the author continued the dialogue over into a box on the next page on a new scene with the exact same design as the caption that was in that same box later in the panel. So I got really confused as if this per- to say like did this person suddenly become omnipotent and they know what's happening in the scene uh, because I was so confused by it. So uh, the the terminology as to what those are though is is interesting because caption versus text box versus I don't know what you call those things where they're labeling like the place or the time or whatever. Oh. I, I don't know what the the phrasing. I always called those captions, but I mean I there might actually captions. be another name. Yeah. I don't know if there's like a distinction or an issue with any of those that either of you have. Um, I mean, I think obviously now we're talking more about terms that are more related to the mechanics of creating and 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 breaking down and dissecting comics, which um that's a whole nother issue, which I think that if you go ahead and read a lot of modern comic book criticism and comic book reviews, I uh, would clearly il- uh, illustrate, no pun intended, the fact that there are people out there who are eager to talk about and discuss and, and relate their experiences with comics, but they're unable to actually put things in the correct framework or, um, you know, describe the their ineffable feelings about the art itself. Mm-hmm. Um for me at least that sort of discussion takes a major backseat to what we've been discussing namely how do i understand how comics work how do i make sure i'm buying the right thing how do i find more stuff like what i like how do i you know not end up doubling up on issues and things like that um so this is kind of a secondary discussion which obviously shows up down the line after the first one for me uh although one thing that i would add here um yeah. Something that I was gonna mention earlier, the and this still happens in a lot of reviews and and crit and everything. Creator doesn't just mean writer, right? Oh yeah, right. Oh the I I yeah that's yes. Sorry, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say, but yes, <laughs> because it's it's so funny because we we do label these people all as creators a lot of the time, but I think that in reviews. On a, in a lot of places, they do simply say, creator, the person who created this book is this writer, when nine times out of ten, unless it's a DC or Marvel book, it's definitely mm-hmm. a joint effort. There's yeah. rare times nowadays with creator-owned books, books that are owned by not only one, not just one person, but by both the um, writer and the artist, and maybe even the colorist or the inker, to say they all collaboratively came up with it. And I'm wondering if maybe the word collaborated with or collaborated by or there needs to be a new word to say created in that sense. I mean, I to actually apply think, multiple people. I think, I think cre- co-creator works. Yeah, creator. Ahead, just plural creators. Like that word is fine as is. Um, but I, it get I think that along the same lines of the problem with some of these terms this this it becomes euphemistic instead of uh specific like creators creators many people created this book just Mm -hmm, like just like it is a collection of single issues and you know so on and so on so yeah just like being saying what you mean so what you're saying is that we should call them all graphic novelists right (laughs) oh Oh, god i'm I'm sorry i i have heard that term before or read that term before in in 
the word I'm going to say is professional reviews, but that's not <laughs> what it is. Professional uh, reviews is in like I read a you know a review of a co- of a of a comic of a graphic novel whatever on you know the Wall Street Journal or New sure, York Times or York something Times, like that, and yeah. they call them graphic novelists, and I'm like, I feel like the term for what a person is is creator, right? If they want to, if they call themselves a cartoonist or an illustrator or an artist, which I've heard that term. For, and I, I labeled those three as pretty much for people that do pencils, inks, and colors, but I've also heard illi- or artist to be described, or people describe themselves as that when they're the writer. I'm an artist, I created this thing. You know, it's that is synonymous sometimes too, but calling someone a graphic novelist is kind of, <laughs> again, getting more into that like self-apologetic thing to say, I read this this comic book, you but it's a graphic novel. You could just say author, can't you? You could just say author. Is author not... Well, I mean, if, if it's a graphic novel and you did it all yourself. Sure. But I mean, but that I think that author implies writer. Strictly yeah. prose. Okay. You know? Yeah. I mean, for me, I can see how it's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Like we, when you're in it, it makes a lot more sense to say author because that is a like whole encompassing thing. But when you're outside of it, yeah, the, the context is always going to be writer because that's just how our culture has fit that word into the creation process of something. Which is where that distinction comes from when it comes to like illustrator versus author, and that th- those terms will get thrown around for writer and artist a lot of the oh, time. Oh yeah, I, I mean, you want to talk about getting muddied? Let's talk about muddied when it's like creator versus author versus story versus writer versus like plot by versus story by versus. Oh my goodness! Like, um, honestly, one of these companies could make a freaking killing if they bothered to put something out that attempted to sort of like pull back the veneer and go this is actually what this means this is actually what this means and if you wanted to become sort of a more informed consumer and understand um you know how the sausage is made we're gonna give you a glimpse behind you know what's going on but who, you should who in do their that. right mind would do that well there yeah, yeah maybe maybe that's that we'll we'll create a new page on the website that's just comic book definitions for you and your friends yeah um to share with your family who don't understand comic books. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, though, because you say that, but we see this on TV a lot, too. You'll see, I don't know if you guys watch The West Wing at all, but if you watch The West Wing credits at the beginning of a lot of those episodes, you'll see story by someone and Aaron Sorkin, and then they'll fade that away and then fade up uh, and teleplay by Aaron Sorkin because he, you know, he wanted the distinction to say, I came up with the story collaboratively, but I wrote the damn thing into a script that they're reading on screen right now because that distinction for him Aaron Sorkin is very important and I think when we you know have these weird generic terms it kind of it it allows there to for there to be gray area which can make contracts really weird which makes me wonder how the contracting system works when it comes to yeah. this type of stuff how it's much of that is tied into this yeah exactly, exactly. you know like how do, what is what does it mean if you were you know written credited as story by you know myself and another or you and another person and like where does the how do you get paid for that does does you get like a an extra little bonus in your paycheck or however that works to say you know you collaborated with another writer on something um and and then edit editors come into that as well because they're technically you know collaborators to make sure things work with whatever um and if you're working at dc or marvel are you dealing with a property that existed you know pre-existing property and how do those people get credited who created it in the first place if they're being credited in the first place dear god it's 2017 i hope they are yeah um, 
So it's a wild, wild system because, the, like you said, Nick, there is no universal like standard for this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, publishers use different terms for everything, and uh, you can say, well, what's the point of learning all these things? But honestly, when you start to look at books and you're like, I like this book or I don't like this book, and then you ask yourself the question, why don't I like this book or why do I like this book? At that point, it really becomes valuable to understand who is doing what and how you get to the bottom of that to figure out who was responsible for what um, so that you can continue to read things you enjoy in the future and whether or not those terms need to be uh, standard or whether or not they need to be streamlined or explained. Um, I, I guess that's sort of the question we're asking today because honestly, like when I started reading comics, a lot of times like writer and co-plotter and story uh, and creator, like they all just sort of blurred together. So I might see like Scott Snyder's name name was all over the place in the New Fifty Two, understandably. Um, but unless you understood the terms, you didn't really get an idea of maybe roughly how much hands on, um, you know, he was with with the material. So you'd be like, oh well, Scott Snyder wrote this. Why do I not really like it? Oh, okay, he just. He's, he's listed under story, and then that sort of becomes an ambiguous, okay, what, is, what does that mean? Does that mean like someone like showed him this and he went, yeah, the, the Riddler would be a good villain for this issue, and then that was, you know, that was the, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's yeah, sort yeah, of like yeah, the yeah. joke of like in Hollywood, like when someone gets listed as a producer, and it's like, that person could have actually have done borderline nothing to be listed. Right. Uh, <laughs> See, I wish that we would have had this episode, you know, two weeks ago, so we could have given all these questions to Tia, and she could have taken them to ECCCCC and got <laughs> it all figured out. Um, oh, man. Next yes, year. Next. Well, next year, <laughs> I hopefully will have some pals with me there to talk about these questions with. Oh, no. Are you implying that we should all go to ECCCCC? I mean, it is really fun. I will say that. I, I, you know, an excuse to go to that side of the country. I'm not gonna complain about. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get we'll get it all figured. We'll see that. And this is the thing. Like, I would actually really enjoy talking about a creator who's in the industry about this kind of stuff to see. They they obviously would ha- I would hope would have like a better grasp on this, if only because you know it's their it's their work it's what Lively they're doing yeah. yeah. So we'll get that <laughs> They're just as year. confused as we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just get the check in the mail, man. Jeez. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Tia Vasiliou and Nick White. The music in this episode is brought to you by our favorite band in the universe, Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give us lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. Or if you're looking to say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesive.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature here on the show, and we have regular threads about what comics we're reading. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode at our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. 
The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast for future updates. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening. You know, I didn't even talk about IVX. I'm so glad that I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like you need to do a mini-sode just by yourself to get that rant out. I think I... Well, Kate Kate emailed me and was like, when are we doing this mini-sode, Mike? And I was like, I guess very soon. It's not going to be relevant by the time we release it, but that's okay. I think there's... I have... I mean, I have a lot of, a lot of thoughts about all these X-Men books. There's... Marvel is releasing five X-Men books later this year. And I'm going to buy all five of them, like an idiot. You're you're part of the problem. I, yeah, I am. The thing is, like, two of them don't even interest me. Maybe I just won't buy those two. No, you will. No, I don't. I don't really need three books. I don't need to buy three comic books that feature Old Man Logan and be like, no, 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 Wolverine's dead. It's different. But you're it's not different. No, I I probably won't buy the Weapon X book. I, I don't have any interest in Deathlock or what's his name uh, Sabretooth or the woman with the finger bone knives. <laughs> what did I just walk in on? Uh, her name her name is uh, finger bone uh, knives is her finger, name. Finger bone knives is her official her moniker. Um, Lady Deathstrike is her name, and I don't care about the, that book. I. I Probably buy X Men Blue and Gold because I hate myself. Cullen Bunn. Which I don't one know. are we taking a pass on? The Weapon X book. Oh. Mm. I'm gonna buy the one that's got Rogue and Gambit in it. Like you can't. Come on. And Phantom <laughs> X and Archangel. Like. Ugh. Anyways. Aren't there five though? What's the other one? Um. I, hold on. Let me let me find that link I sent to you yesterday. Can't believe you sent me a video to boys like girls, Nick. I'm so mad at you. Look, you uh, some either you or I used the term love drunk, and then I just associated and sent you the link. And whether or not you watched that music video with Ashley Tisdale in it is totally up to you. That's not on me, man. <laughs> I did not. Okay, did you listen to the song and secretly appreciate it and decide not to share with me how much you loved it? No, I don't like it. I don't like that song. So there's X-Men Gold, X-Men Blue, Generation X, Weapon X, and Astonishing X-Men. So this is the point where you shock me and tell me that you're maybe going to go three for five, and then I'm real proud of you. I'm going to go probably four for five. Okay, that's that's not, yeah, not proud of. Okay. Gen X has, Generation X has iBoy, Jubilee, Quentin Quire, and that one woman whose name I can't remember, but she's super cool, and she had a relationship with Mercury for a little while, and it was awesome. Um... <laughs> Astonishing X-Men has Rogue and Gambit, Mystique, Psylocke, Archangel, Bishop, and Old Man Logan. Um, X-Men Gold has the classic team of Nightcrawler, Colossus, Storm, uh, Kitty Pride, Rachel Gray, and fucking Old Man Logan. And then yeah. X- X-Men Blue has the original five. So Jean Grey, Young Jean Grey, Young Angel, Young Beast, Young Iceman, Young like, Cyclops. And I'm not going to buy Weapon X, which has Domino, Apache Tracker, uh, 
that's not his name. That's his old name. Uh, Lady oh, Deathstrike. Thank God. Yeah. He used to be called Apache Tracker. No, no, the first incarnation was called Apache Tracker, and then he took a different name because he wanted to, Marvel wanted to distance themselves from, you know, that racist <laughs> bullshit. Uh, it's, it's very declarative, yeah. uh, if anything. Um, anyway, well, he's he's awesome. James Proudfoot, he's, like, the co- one of the coolest like darker characters like he was on the what he was on the x-force team for a while and he was just murderous it was amazing but he was also the conscience of the team because wolverine's like we're just gonna kill everybody and he's like do we have to wolverine's like i don't know you tell me bub and then they would kill everyone (laughs) (laughs) so i love great great discussion yeah anyways we really broke this one down yeah i'm uh (laughs) I'm a sucker. I am part of the problem, Tia. That's that's uh, absolutely true. 